0: If you have your Bibles, turn with me today to the book of Isaiah. We'll finish up uh, the uh, story of Christmas future, which is a little bit of a twist. Because you go, wait a minute, Pastor Mike, Christmas future and we're in Isaiah. Yes, we're back in the book of Isaiah with the prophet looking forward to the events of Christmas, in fact, I'll use this wonderful manger here to help us this morning. We think about uh, Christmas, the Christmas story, past, present and future. Starting next Sunday, we'll be together in Luke chapter 1, and we'll be in Christmas present. We'll be right there with the individuals, with the personalities, with the stories, with the dimensions of Christmas as it was when Jesus uh, came to this earth. Uh, we have to keep this very clearly focused in our mind when we celebrate Christmas. We are not celebrating uh, the beginning of Christ's life for Jesus existed throughout all of eternity past. He was there and present at creation. He is God when we celebrate Christmas. We're celebrating his incarnation when the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Uh, When Jesus, uh, the God man, came to Bethlehem's manger and we think of we think of a cradle, we think of a crown and we think of a cross and the cross was his ultimate purpose. Uh, It's interesting. This cradle does not stay here all year long. It's here for December. It's here as a touch point for this month and some good teaching that we can have around it. But you know what was uh, sort of striking to me? These crosses are here all year long. Because that was the ultimate purpose of Jesus' ministry on earth, was the cross. And uh, this was a vehicle that delivered the God-man to us. Jesus, who came as a gift from the Father, Father, Son, Spirit, three distinct persons, one holy nature. We're all still absorbing that and, and, and getting our hearts and minds around that. He came, Jesus, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And we come to celebrate the greatest Christmas gift ever given, and his name is Jesus. And we'll spend time in the present, right at that moment. And we'll have a good time doing it. Toward the end of this series, we'll be in uh, in Christmas past. We'll be outside of Christmas. We'll be over here uh, looking back at us as the historical event that it is, and in a sense, kind of where we are today. These first two weeks, we've been in Christmas future. We've been with the prophet Isaiah and he has six to seven hundred years. Think of that. Our nation's been a a country for 242 years. Some of you have been alive for 28, 38, 68 uh, years. And it's hard for us to get our mind around 650 years Here we have Isaiah before the birth of Christ. And he is delivering, as he's writing under inspiration, these incredible jewels that tell us about this one that is coming, the gift from God to save people from their sin. To be the answer for that problem, that ultimate problem of humanity that we cannot resolve on our own. In Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, another powerful passage. We looked last week at Isaiah 7 14. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Here comes the God-man, 100% God, 100% man, walking among us, moving into the neighborhood to do his work in the hearts and lives of men, women, boys, and girls. What does Isaiah have yet to teach us in Isaiah 9-6? I would love to look A a significant portion of this chapter with you, but time does not allow this morning. We'll focus on one verse, Isaiah 9, 6. And I love what it says. For unto us a child is born, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called, colon, interesting, transition, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Two aspects of this verse that I want us to focus on. The first one is simple. And by the way, many of you hear that verse and you say, you know, it seems like maybe I was first introduced to that verse in that beautiful song, Handel's Messiah. And it is more than just a song. It's a a piece, right? It is a piece of majesty, of uh, of oratory, of words, of music. It's majestic. It's wonderful. Um, Written in 1741 by George Friedrich Handel called Handel's Messiah, written over a period of 24 days. That's unbelievable that that significant of a piece was written that quickly. And a piece that was not originally written to be a Christmas piece, but has definitely been adopted as such because of the obvious natures of this verse. And a lot of people first heard these words in that song, only to discover later, my goodness, that song came forth out of these words from the book, of Isaiah chapter 9. And this was the inspiration. Obviously for that incredible. Beautiful and wonderful piece. For a child is born to us. A son is coming. A child is coming. We love the way Isaiah really brings that out. In, in HD quality for us. He said back in chapter 7 verse 14. Uh, it's, it's great. That, that a virgin will conceive. And bring forth. A son. A child will be born. A son will. Will be given. And then we come over to the book of John, we come to the book of Luke, and we figure it all out. It all becomes clear. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only what church? His one and only son. There he comes. There comes Jesus. And all of these years prior to that event, Isaiah is saying a son is coming, a child is coming. He's going to come in the most miraculous of ways, he will be virgin born. Let that one sink in for a while. You come up to Christmas and you're you're navigating in your mind a virgin birth. All we can say a miraculous birth. You're navigating the fact that that God exists in three distinct persons, but has one holy nature. The Lord, our God, Deuteronomy says is one Lord. God, the son, God, the father, God, the son, God, the spirit. And the son comes. From the heart of the father, when the son goes back to his rightful place, Acts chapter one, to the right hand of God, the father, the spirit comes down and lives within our hearts to lead, guide, direct us, illumine the scriptures, to continue to reveal the majesties and the glory and the wonders of Christ. What a powerful picture. What rich theological truths we have to navigate and work through this time of the year. And I got to tell you, they're deep and they're majestic and they're wonderful and they're mind bending and they're faith requiring. And they're breathtaking. But all of these years prior, a son is coming. He'll come through the virgin. A child will be born. The greatest Christmas gift ever given from the heart of the father. God the father, God the son, God the spirit. The government will rest on his shoulders. So important. What is interesting that the very disciples that walked with the Lord Jesus... As he was there in Bethlehem's manger and as he grew up in the home of of, uh, Joseph and Mary and and then launched his public ministry and and ministered publicly for approximately three and a half years across the Holy Land as we know it today. Those disciples that were engaging with him were really struggling to understand what was being taught here in Isaiah 9-6. They thought that Jesus had come to establish an earthly kingdom. Finally, someone who has miracle power. Incredible power, obviously a person of authority who can scour out this Roman oppressive Roman rule and can bring in a wonderful earthly governmental kingdom only to come to a realization near the end of his life. that That's not why he came at all, but he had come to what establish a spiritual kingdom in the hearts of men, women, boys and girls. Think of that Isaiah hundreds and hundreds of years before he arrives is hinting at that fact that he is coming to establish a spiritual kingdom that God so loved you and me that he did not want us to be uh, alienated from him. But he sends the greatest Christmas gift ever given. His name is Jesus. We have a cradle. We have a crown and we have a cross. And through his death, burial and resurrection and the ministry and the life of Jesus, individuals have the opportunity of being reconciled back and made right to a holy God. And the son is able to make us right with the father. The son is able to remove that enmity that men and women have with a holy God and to make us right when we put Our faith and trust in what he has done. And when we do, he establishes a spiritual kingdom within our heart. And that kingdom has all kinds of facets and priorities and principles. And every one of them are unpacked in time as we grow in him from the very word of God, which is our ultimate guide for faith and practice. This is our governmental guidebook of what the spiritual kingdom's priorities really are. And what we should be doing and not doing and focusing on and what the heart of that kingdom is and the priorities of that kingdom and the love of that kingdom and the mission of that kingdom. It all comes forth in these very important words. And look what we have here in the second aspect of this verse for a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. He's the one that can bring forth a spiritual kingdom in the hearts and lives of individuals. And he will be called colon. And we learn so much about him. This baby that is born. This son that has been given. This Messiah that is arriving. This long predicted and foretold one. We learn so much about him from his Names. You know, we learn a lot about you from your names. In fact, I would just encourage you sometime to ask Pastor Josh about his name and uh, create a little space of time. All right? It won't happen quickly, but give him a little space of time and he'll tell you all about his name and the significance of it, the meaning of it, the family history and heritage that's built into it. That's correct, right? So I was listening, yes. It's wonderful. You learn a lot about people from their names. How many of you here have a name because the name that you bear was the name that your great-great-grandfather, grandfather, great-grandmother, they bore that name? In other words, your name has come down. It, it has very much a history and a heritage to it. You are named what you're named because of someone else earlier in your family. Let me see your hand. All over the sanctuary. How many of you are named something because of the significance of what that name means? And your name was chosen because it means bearer of light. Or maybe it means the one whose heart is after God. Or something of that nature. Or you named your children something particular because of the meaning of that name. Let me see your hand. All over the sanctuary, sure. We can tell a lot about somebody. You can learn a lot about their character, their nature, their history, their heritage from their name. I'm telling you, this December, you need to ask Pastor Josh. It is awesome. It is really good. And it's like historically significant. You learn a lot. You get a lot. You get a lot of flavor. You get a lot of color. You get a lot of significance. Watch what happens here. And he will be called. I want you to see four things. He will be called, first of all, Wonderful Counselor. Think of that. Think of that. This son that has been given. Don't miss this. We have, we have the completed canon of Scripture. What do you mean by that, Pastor Mike? The 66 books. We have the Bible in its entirety. The 66 love letters from the heart of God to our heart. And we, we understand Isaiah. We see it fulfilled in Luke 1, Luke 2, right? We even see what Paul and all of these others have to say about it. Looking, we see the folks who are looking forward. We see the folks that were in the moment. We see the folks, folks who are reflecting back at the historical event. We see the whole panoramic view. Isaiah's is over here 650 approximately years before the event. So he is literally speaking about something that hasn't even happened yet. And look at the detail that he brings forth. A virgin is going to conceive and bear a son. Understand that was written hundreds and hundreds of years before it happened. All the miracle and the joy of the word of God. A virgin will conceive and bear a son. This son will be a gift. This son will be able to establish a spiritual kingdom in the hearts of those who believe in the reality of the cradle, the crown, and what he did on the cross. And those who believe... We'll find a wonderful counselor. Counselors are wonderful. I'm thankful for counselors. I was reflecting. I had, uh, when I went to college, I had an academic counselor. And uh, very helpful. Very helpful. I would have been, in fact, I'll tell you a detailed story that I did not tell our 9 o'clock friends. You want a uh, a little embarrassing story from Pastor Mike. So I had a, a, an academic counselor, and, um, and he said, you've got to really be careful with the courses you choose to make sure that you end up with the proper amount of credits at the end of your academic career, or you'll run in trouble. And, um, and I was a, a Bible major, and I double minored in pulpit speech and counseling uh, for obvious reasons, uh, for both of those. And I really wanted to take this course because I loved the professor called Adolescent Psychology. But it was a two-hour course instead of a three-hour course. And when I got to the very end of my final semester, come to find out I am one credit short from being able to graduate. So I had to go see the dean of the School of Arts and Sciences. His name was Dr. Gunter Salter. Um, Oh, PhD from Vanderbilt. And I had had a run-in with him earlier. In uh, in uh, in an evening class called Principles of Education, and I was it was me and five other young ministerial students sitting on the very back row, and I was talking to Wayne Whitmer. Wayne was talking to Toby Whitmer, although they're unrelated. But Dr. Salter calls me out, Mister Irwin. Please stand up. Two hundred fifty people in this lecture class. You clearly have something more important to share than I have. Why don't you teach the class? Yeah, that was my first introduction to Dr. Gunter Salter. I said, sir, I have nothing important to say. I'm going to sit down. I would love for you to continue. And I sat down and he continued. So I end up back in his office again, one credit short. He says, Mr. Irwin. So he just shook. He said, you should have done what I told you to do. Well, he designed a special one-hour class for me to finish that summer. By his goodness and grace, he helped me get finished up and to finish that degree. But you know, the simple truth was this. My academic counselor tried to warn me about that. And I went off and I wanted to do this and wanted to do that. Got myself into difficulty. Thankfully, I found mercy and grace and help. And I was able to finish up and everything worked out. Counselors are a blessing. Some of you have seen counselors in your past, academic counselors, spiritual counselors, financial counselors. They're helpful. They're a blessing. We thank God for them. Have you ever thought about the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, as being known as the wonderful counselor? He is the most wonderful, most helpful, most important counselor That you will ever see in your life. And I've got some wonderful news for you. By the way, when I went to see Dr. Salter, I had to set an appointment. And it took a while to be able to get in to see him. Thankful I found grace there when I did. I've seen other counselors in my life, over my life, and sometimes you have to wait a long time to get in to be able to see them and have them to help you and to aid you and to speak truth into your life. What a gift they are. I've got some amazing news for you. You never have to set an appointment to see the Lord Jesus. He's ready to meet you at any point and any place and to speak directly into what you're going through in your life. He's a wonderful counselor. And he is always standing by to meet you and to further establish his kingdom in your life as he reveals the truth of the word of God and speaks it right in through the power of the Holy Spirit to your life about anything you're dealing with in your current situation. Lord, this woman that thou has given me, the wonderful counselor says, I've got wisdom for you. Lord, this man that you have given me, the wonderful counselor, has wisdom for you. The husband and the wife, the single parent, the individual that's raising grandkids. Lord, how do we parent these children? How do we handle this? What's the wisdom? What are the answers? God says, I've got I've got wisdom for you. I've got help for you. I can show you the way. I've got principles and I've got truth. And I've got realities that can be yours to grab hold of and plug directly into your life to help you with what you're dealing with in your today. He is the wonderful counselor. He was wonderful in his birth. Oh, how he loves us. He came directly after our heart. He was wonderful in his life. He lived the perfect life that we could never live. The very God-man coming directly after our hearts. He was wonderful in His death. Last week when we held the bread in the cup, we reflected back as to the glory and the majesty of what He did on the cross, providing salvation full and free. But I want you to know Him. As the wonderful counselor who can help you with the wisdom that you need for relationships, for finances, for parenting, for marriage, for that difficult personality in your family, for that difficult situation in your neighborhood. The wonderful counselor has the wisdom that you need as you're dealing with the hard things of life. Listen to this verse. I want to share it with you very quickly. I want to share a number of verses in a sense I'm going to do what what always just drove me crazy. I'm going to assign some homework right at the end of the semester. How about those teachers that get right toward the end of the semester and add on an extra project? No, really? You're going to add that on right at the last week or the last two weeks? I'm going to give some homework here right at the end. Of the semester, take a look this afternoon at second Peter one three. just study it this afternoon i 'm going to give you a number of them that i 'd like you just to look at this afternoon in, in your personal time. Second Peter one three, listen to this by his divine power, God, listen to these words, has given us everything we need for living a godly life. So what the wonderful counselor does by knowing him. And by having access to his word, we have everything that we need for living a godly life. Wow. I know of no other counselor that can offer that. Everything we need. This is who the babe of Bethlehem's manger is. He's a son. He is Lord. He is Messiah. He is the promised one. He is the arriving one. He's the one that we've been trying to fully understand ever since. And never able to fully get to the depth of who he is and all that he has done. And he is one that through the glory of these 66 books can be a wonderful counselor to your heart regarding anything that you're going through. And he will give you everything you need from his word through the power of his spirit to live a godly life. What an invitation. And you don't have to wait for an appointment. He is ready to see you. At a moment's notice. That's what he's called. Wonderful counselor. Here's what I would say. Second Peter one three. He has come to bring help. I want to put the next two together as we hustle along. He's the mighty God, the everlasting father. I love that. He's he's wonderful counselor. Watch this. He is God who is mighty. He's the mighty God. He's the everlasting father. Look at the connection to the Trinity that's built in there. Look at these weighty theological truths. Three distinct persons sharing one holy nature. Jesus is both, watch, mighty God, everlasting Father. Because they share one holy nature. Catch the reference there. So powerful. And He is God. Here's the next verse I'd love you to spend a little time in this afternoon, a little bit of homework. At a busy season. Take a look at John chapter 1. And the word, that word that was present at creation. And the word, that word that was present before the world as we know it was present. That word became flesh. I love the translation. And moved into the neighborhood. Wow. The God man, 100% God, 100% flesh, came to dwell among us. Philippians chapter 2, we talked about it last week, won't even go there today. We talked about the significance of the word becoming flesh. And here is the deal we want to get to know this child, we want to get to understand this son. We want to understand the spiritual kingdom that he comes to establish in the hearts of men, women, and boys and girls. And to do that, we have to understand his names and what he's called. He's called Wonderful Counselor. He's called a God who is mighty. The Everlasting Father. As a Wonderful Counselor, he comes to bring help. Second Peter 1.3, everything we need. As the mighty God who is the everlasting father, he comes to bring hope. John chapter one, the word moved onto your street and he comes there to bring hope to say there's a way that you can resolve this sin problem that you have deep inside your heart. There's a way that you can be reconciled back. You see, the son can reconcile us back to the father. So that we can know the joy of a life of living in the spirit as we follow his word, the ultimate guide for faith and belief. And he brings us the hope that we need. I think it's why we are so drawn to Christmas. Because within the reality of Christmas, the world calls it, as we said last week, the magic of Christmas. I think what they're trying to hint and trying to, to get a, their brain around and their heart around and their hands around the, 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 is really the, the miracle of Christmas. And We're drawn to that miracle. For in this cradle and with this crown and with this cross, we have help and we have hope. And then lastly, and we'll be done. Look what it says. He is our prince of peace. Boy, well, no wonder this arrested George Handel's heart. No wonder why in 1741 he sat down with pen and, inspired by this amazing verse delivered to us, Handel's Messiah. He was gripped by the hope, by the help, and by the harmony that the son, the babe of Bethlehem's manger, the God man can bring to the human heart when we come into full realization of what the real story of Christmas is all about. He is our Prince of Peace. More homework Romans 5 1, Philippians 4 7. I invite you to look at it this afternoon. You say, Pastor Mike, he really can bring help. Oh, he sure can. 2 Peter 1.3, everything you need. He really can bring hope. Oh, he sure can. And has the authority as the mighty God to do it. John 1, he'll, he, he'll move right onto your street, right into your house, right into your heart. And he'll change everything from the inside out. And he can bring harmony. Oh, he sure can. He's the Prince of Peace. Romans 5.1, you know what he does? He gives us the peace that we need with God. He's the only one that can do it. The beloved Apostle John said he, Jesus, babe of Bethlehem's manger is the way, the truth and the life. No man can come to the father but through him. And here's the sad reality that apart from Christ, your life is at enmity with God. You're an enemy of God apart from Christ. You're at odds with God. And if you die at odds with God, you'll spend an eternity in the devil's hell. That's a reality. But God so loved you. That he sent his one and only son to this earth, to our neighborhood, to this moment, to share and to say to your heart, oh, how much I love you. And I want to be in relationship with you. But the only way you can have a right relationship with the father is through the son. For God so loved the world that he gave He, Jesus, is the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but through Him. But when we believe in what He did, He came to this earth. He lived the perfect life that we could never live. He knew knew no sin, became sin for us, that we might be made the righteous of God in Him. And He died in our place, and He took our sin upon Him on that cross. And He came forward the third day, triumphant and victorious over sin, hell and the grave. And when we believe... Everything changes from the inside out. You know what he does? He removes that enmity that we have with God. You know what he does? He makes us right with God. So that when God looks at our life now, as we're in Christ, you know what he does? He no longer sees the distance and the division, but he now sees us through the sun. And we are fully restored to him. And we now are no longer at enmity with God. Romans 5.1, we now have peace with God. We have peace with God. And we have the joy of an eternity in heaven. And we have the joy of receiving grace and the miracle of sins forgiven. And we have the joy of no longer being on the outside, but now being on the inside. No longer a child of the kingdom of darkness. We've been translated to the kingdom of light. No longer one who is afar off, but now one who has been brought near. No longer as ones gathered as brands for the burning, but one now who's been redeemed and forever on their way to live in eternity with Jesus in heaven because of the work that he has done on the inside out from our life. And we have peace with God. The moment that you repented, believed and received, the moment you made peace with God and Jesus. Made your peace with God. You know what else he does? He begins as we grow in him after we believe. As we begin to really understand who we are in Christ and develop that relationship. For what we do here has nothing to do with religion. This is about a relationship that men, women, boys and girls can have with the eternal God of heaven through the Son. His name is Jesus. He loved us so much he came. That once we have that relationship, you know what he does? He begins to show us as we live our life in conformity to the word of God, how that not only we have peace with God, but we can begin to enjoy the peace of God. And it begins to rule and reign in our hearts. And as we begin to grow in him, that peace rules and reigns more and more. I've often said two wonderful signs of maturity for the believer is your ability to solve your own problems from Scripture, number one. Take some maturity. That's a wonderful moment when you begin to do that. And when you can have peace, even when your circumstances scream otherwise at you. Because you so have your eyes and your focus on the Lord. And you so trust the fact that he is at work and that he's got this. And he holds you. And you are in the hollow of his hand. And nothing's going to come into your life that he's not allowed or ordained through his sovereign purpose. And you can peacefully trust Him even in the midst of the storm. I'm going to tell you what, that's the maturity. And I'm convinced as I've studied the Scripture, that's what He's trying to grow us to that point. That we trust Him. Our eyes are upon Him. We're following with our heart close to His heart. And He allows His peace to rule and reign even when the storm is raging around us. All of this from someone who never read the book of Matthew, Mark, books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. All of this from the heart of a prophet, writing under inspiration, of course, who never understood the writings of Paul or ever saw the reality of the New Testament. And all of these years back in Christmas future, looking to what would come, he said, A son is coming. He's going to establish a rule and reign in the hearts of individuals that is going to be absolutely breathtaking. And this son, this child, this God man, this babe of Bethlehem's manger, this Emmanuel, this Messiah. Will be the absolute ultimate spiritual counselor. That is available at a moment's notice, any anytime, anywhere, any place, any hour. To reveal the truths of the Word of God and apply them directly to our hearts. This wonderful counselor is the mighty God, the everlasting Father. He can bring help, He can bring hope, and He can bring ultimate harmony between your heart and the heart of God. Give you peace with God and give you the peace of God for every moment that you walk with Him through this world. In His Word, His presence, in moments like this bring that peace directly to our hearts he was wonderful in life he was wonderful in birth he was wonderful in his death and he has been wonderful to us who know him every moment every step of the way Now, all these years beyond the manger, we look back and say, how wonderful he is. What a joy it is to know him, to be in relationship with him. What a confidence with God the Father that the Son has given us. My goodness, Isaiah had it right. Handel got it right when he said, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. For the work that the Son has done to give the joy of Christmas a reality in our very hearts. Father, we thank you for your word. What a power-packed treasure of a verse, tongue and pen, surely fail to tell the story as eloquently as it should be told. But we thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for loving us that much. Thank you, Son, for being obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And thank you, Spirit, that you've come at the moment that we receive the Lord Jesus to live within us, to just continue to illumine and reveal all that has happened and happening in our heart and life. Surely this is why we are drawn again to the beauty and the realities of And we thank you, Jesus, for all you've done for us. We love you. May we see with crystal clarity how wonderful you are. And we pray it in Jesus' name.